D-Day, June 6, 1944, the Allied forces were successful in establishing a foothold in northern France on the beaches of Normandy. They landed 150,000 soldiers by day's end, and with that, the war in Europe was over in principle, but not in fact. I say it was over in principle because when the Allies were successful in invading Normandy, it became just a matter of time. You had eventually a million plus soldiers invading Nazi Germany from the west, and you had about as much coming from the east from the Soviet Union. The war was over in principle. It wasn't over in fact. There would still be 11 months of intense fighting before German high command finally surrendered. Then the war in Europe wasn't simply over in principle. It was also over in fact. Now, I mentioned D-Day and this idea of the war being over in principle versus in fact because a similar dynamic is at work in our gospel today. Right? Our gospel shows us the victory of the kingdom of God in principle. However, the victory of the kingdom of God, it's not yet fully realized in fact. In fact, there's a, there's a theological word concept for this dynamic. It's called the already but not yet. The kingdom of God, the victory of the kingdom of God is already here. We already experience the kingdom, but not yet in its fullness and glory. And I would, I would venture to say that this already but not yet dynamic, it has profound ramifications for how we ought to live our life. So let's take a look at our gospel and see what it has to teach us about the already but not yet. Our gospel is very short. It's St. Mark's account of Jesus' temptation in the desert after his baptism. Unlike Matthew and Luke, who also have an account of Jesus' temptation, Mark gives us no details about the particular temptation. If you remember, like in Matthew, Satan says to Jesus, uh, you know, if you are the Son of God, turn these stones to bread, because Jesus was hungry. He had been fasting. And Jesus says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. Mark doesn't give us any of those details, but he does give us odd details like pointing out that Jesus was among the wild beasts, which I say that's odd because it, it, in one sense it's kind of obvious. If you're in the wilderness for 40 days, of course you're going to be around wild animals. But there's nothing superfluous in sacred scripture. Mark is trying to communicate something through what seems an odd detail. And what he's trying to communicate is this. Jesus is the new Adam who comes to restore Eden. Jesus, the new Adam, is with the wild beasts. Just as Adam in Genesis 2 is among wild beasts and animals, lives in harmony with them, and has an authority over them. Jesus is ministered to by angels, Mark says. And so too... Adam, at the end of Genesis 3, is in the presence of angels. But most importantly, both Adam and Jesus are tempted by Satan, put to the test by Satan. However, where Adam failed, Jesus prevailed. Jesus' victory over Satan in the desert, it's akin to the Allied victory at Normandy. It can be likened to that victory in Normandy. It's, it's a victory which shows that the kingdom of God is here, as Jesus said. The kingdom of God is at hand. 
but the kingdom of God is not yet immediately realized in its fullness. Christ restores Eden in principle, but not yet in fact. And even, even when he goes to the cross and by his cross and resurrection, you know, definitively defeats Satan and sin and death, even then, we're still living in the already but not yet. I'm going to quote from the Catechism. It says, Though already present in his church, Christ's reign is nevertheless yet to be fulfilled with power and great glory by the king's return to earth. Christ has won the victory, but it's only when he comes again that he will usher in the fullness of his kingdom, destroying sin and death forever, creating a new heaven and a new earth, and God will dwell with his people in the holy city, the new and eternal Jerusalem, where every tear will be wiped away. Then will the fullness of the kingdom of God be realized. Then will Eden be restored, not just in principle, but in fact. So for now, we live in this already, but not yet. And it means we're living in a time of spiritual battle. The, the Christian life is a time of spiritual combat. The battle rages in the hearts of men, in the hearts of, of all of us. You know, St. Augustine, he once wrote that God, he created us without our consent. But he so willed to only save us with our consent. Meaning, if we want to experience the fullness of God's kingdom, then we need to act and cooperate with God's grace. We need to heed the call of Christ from our gospel to repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. You know, when you look at our readings as a whole, we could, we could read them as a call to return to the innocence of our baptism. You know, in, in our first reading, we see Noah and his family saved through the waters of the flood. And then St. Peter in our second reading interprets it for us and says that just as they were saved by the waters of the flood, so we are saved by baptism. The waters of the baptism, we enter the kingdom of God, we become his adopted sons and daughters. We Sanctifying grace is infused into our soul and we are a new creation. But baptism, it has this something of an already but not yet dynamic in it. Right? Because while baptism frees us from the stain of original sin and personal sin if we receive baptism as an adult, nonetheless, we still are fallen creatures in a fallen world. We still, post-baptism, struggle with something called concupiscence, which is just a theological term for our fallen human nature, which is inclined to some degree to sin. You know, the Catechism tells us, go back to the Catechism, it says, baptism, by imparting the life of Christ's grace, erases original sin and turns a man back towards God. But the consequences for our human nature, weakened and inclined to evil, persist and summons us to spiritual battle. And baptism signals the beginning of the Christian life, and this Christian life is a, a spiritual combat. So, Lent is a call. This first Sunday in Lent, our readings are calling us to return to the innocence of our baptism. And baptism is a summons to the spiritual combat of the Christian life. But let's take that first one. How do we return to that innocence of baptism? And the answer is simple. It's the sacrament of confession, of reconciliation. If we do nothing else this Lent, make one really good, sincere confession. 
Why? How could that restore us to the innocence of our baptism? Well, I'll, I'll quote one of my favorite authors, G.K. Chesterton, this British Catholic writer. He, he said, when a Catholic comes from confession, he may be gray and gouty, but he is only five minutes old. In other words, the, the grace of the sacrament of reconciliation, it restores us to our baptismal innocence. Then we can engage more vigorously in the spiritual battle that is the Christian life. We can pick up the weapons of prayer, fasting, and almsgiving with renewed intensity as we fight for the day when we will be living in the, not any longer living in the already but not yet. We'll be living in the fullness of his kingdom. We'll be living in the victory of Christ, not merely in principle, but in fact.